Today on the Ryan Rosillo Podcast, our first visit with Trent Dilfer. We're going to talk about opening camps for a bunch of different teams. We're going to do some either-or with different quarterbacks. Then we get deep on the lack of drafting success that we've had even more so in recent years. Jamie Erdahl is the new host of Good Morning Football. I'm a huge fan. I work at the SEC, Nesson. Um, and now she's transitioning into an opinion job five days a week. We've got Life Advice, College Football Week 1 React. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Observations after a first full week of college football. I'm just going to run through a bunch of the games, little stuff that I saw here and there. The headliner, at least for the rankings, number two, Ohio State against number five, Notre Dame. It was 10-7 Notre Dame. I put myself through this exercise when I'm watching games, taking down notes, and I said to myself, will Notre Dame win this game? And I wrote, no. And that's kind of how it felt. Even though they were up, uh, it was a struggle for this Notre Dame offense. Second half, 72 yards on 20 plays. Total domination by an Ohio State defense that had to really kind of carry them through this until Stroud and, and really the back of running back Williams got things cooking here for Ohio State. So as I had said with Big Cat during the preview part of it, I think looking back to last year's Ohio State defense, and granted they brought in Jim Knowles, which I think every single college football fan has had beaten into his head uh, this entire time. But there's, there's some dudes there. You know what I mean? Like the draft prospect part of it, but some of those guys are just younger. There's a lot of guys making a lot of plays, and it just felt like other than a toss to Mayer from Tyler Buckner, the quarterback for Notre Dame, that there just didn't, there wasn't a lot like it felt like, what can Notre Dame go to right here to convert a third down that you feel good about? And it felt somewhat limited. Uh, on the other side for Stroud, even though Smith and Jigba was in and out of the game, <laughs> this, this offense is going to be loaded. Uh, you know, Harvin Marison Jr., uh, you've got the return guy, and and Mayan, the backup running back, was kind of the story, and he had a huge, huge third-down catch as well. So Ohio State, whatever the score was, it felt like that was their game despite being down a little bit earlier. The game I probably enjoyed as much as anything was Florida and Utah. Now, here's a funny story I'll share with you as well. They were putting up the draft rankings, right? And it said Anthony Richardson, quarterback, who, again, you know, I've watched him last year, number 15, 
Mel Kuyper had him number 12 on his prospect list, not mock draft going 12th, but 12th on the prospect list, which means as a quarterback, he's probably going to go like maybe number five or number six. And I thought, hey, you know, it'd be a really good segment as I look at the prospect rankings or I look at a mock and I just go, hey, here's something I'll do on a Wednesday. If maybe there's a slower news day where I go through Mel or I go through McShay's rankings and I kind of do my own over under based on what these guys are. And I better do it soon here as the college football season is about to start. And the reason I started thinking out that segment, because I was like 12 for Richardson. I'm like, man, that seems high. Fast forward two hours later, it might be low. He is a stud. Now, there are quarterbacks that can run, and there are quarterbacks that can run and only like to run. And he can pass, he can run, but he stays in the pocket. He gives the pocket a chance. He has pocket mobility. He has the arm angle throws down. The two-point conversion play where he is flushed out, the pocket doesn't even really exist because it's a rollout to his right. Um, Pressure comes crashing down from both angles. He gets into the air, pump fakes a pass, pirouettes, lands, and then runs out clear of the pressure of two defensive players and throws it to the back pylon for the two-point conversion. He's awesome. And I think everybody kind of fell in love with him. And maybe it's just one game or whatever, but to me, that is a big jump up there and why when I thought later to that segment, I go, maybe still a good segment idea. Maybe we leave Anthony Richardson out of this. Now for the Pac-12, what does this mean? Uh, this is now a 1-8 and eight record when you factor in the next game we'll get to, too, as well. Oregon's beat down uh, by Georgia. But the Pac-12 is now 1-8 and eight in its last nine week one games against the SEC. Not great. But I still feel good about Utah. Because this was a coin toss type of game, the interception in the end zone, not maybe what you'd want as far as risk aversion on the play call there. But CJ Rising's been around now. I think he's a tough kid. I think he's a good quarterback. So I like him. Keithy, the big tight end, number 80, I believe, is an absolute matchup nightmare. And the best part about this for Utah is I thought they won on offense in the line of scrimmage all night. I thought their O line was pushing Florida back. So I felt like that group. That was a win. So you do the SEC toughness stuff that drives everybody else crazy, and sometimes it's right, and sometimes it's just applied to teams that don't deserve it. Uh, in this case, this wasn't about Utah, some Pac-12 team coming down to the swamp and getting their asses kicked all over the place by depth and D-line, which is sometimes the right version of the story. I don't think that's really what this was. So despite the 1-9 record now, or excuse me, the 1-8 and eight record for the Pac-12 schools, disappointing loss at the end of this, it's a coin toss result that should probably not be magnified out to meaning that Utah couldn't hang with one of the big boys in the SEC. And again, with Florida unranked coming into this, but with Richardson and the two, um, Johnson and Etienne, who looks terrific, I don't know enough about the receivers at this point. Um, it looks like you know, Richardson may have to carry them a little bit here. I'm not I'm not sure about the D-line because I thought Utah was winning again, like I said, in that matchup. Although there was that number 21, the D-tackle was over 400 pounds, that when they went the back line camera on that one, the back judge camera angle, his ass took up the entire, like it was like 55 inches of screen and about 30 inches of ass in that one. So there was a lot going on there in the middle. But I thought Utah physically held up really well. And, you know, blew it at the very end. So I don't think Utah should be leaving there feeling like they can't match up with one of, again, we don't even know necessarily where Florida is uh, in the SEC tiers right now, but it looks like probably an improvement from a disastrous end of last year. Uh, speaking of improvement, is it possible George is better? Let's hold off on, well, it's just going to be Georgia and it doesn't matter. Let's Let's play a couple more weeks. Is that all right? But boy, was that impressive. 49-3 against Oregon. Stetson Bennett, how good is he? And are we dicks about height? He's really good, and yes, we are dicks about height. Uh, his Heisman odds before the season started, FanDuel, 100 to 1. Uh, they were behind Spencer Rattler and about seven or eight running backs. 
He's now 20 to 1 on FanDuel if you still want to get in on that. Apparently, he was only 1.7% of the entire action on the Heisman odds. So people weren't looking at him as a Heisman guy. Remember, last year, again, with the national title, but there was always the JT Daniels story, which, by the way, that former USC Daniel Slovis matchup, backyard brawl, Pittsburgh, West Virginia, probably one of my favorite games the entire week. Um, but we always kind of felt like, all right, Stetson's there, but they'll probably do something else at some point. I thought he was so locked in. He was precise. He wasn't forcing anything. Granted, your defense is humiliating Oregon on the other side, so maybe you're not pressured enough to go ahead and do some of these things. But he was fourth in QB rating last season when I'll admit, like a lot of people were like, ah, nice little story there, but whatever, does it really matter? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm opening my my mind up. We'll ask Dilfer about this a little bit later of what what Stetson Bennett could actually be because he looks like a really good quarterback. And that's still with some limitations, I think, at the receiver position because, as Kirk Herbstreet said on a preview show that made me kind of go, wait, is he right? He said not only is this the best tight end room in the country, maybe the best tight end room of all time. Whenever you throw an all-time on there, it makes me notice, unless I think your content is garbage, and I think uh, Kirk Herbstreit's content is not garbage. It's great. And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. All right, well, Bowers is totally unfair. Um, Washington, the six foot seven guys like Anthony Mason out there, who I do think like his hands maybe be a little bit more consistent, but red zone, absolute matchup nightmare, huge recruit coming in. And then Eric Gilbert, if you watched it, LSU who transferred in, uh, he was the number tight end and uh, number one tight end in his class. And as soon as you, you saw him as a freshman at LSU, you're like, this guy's like a top 10 pick. This is, this is insane what this guy can do. And then he transfers in there and then they brought in the number three tight end Delp a kid who's actually from Georgia, you're like, wait, why are you going to go to this school? Uh, he was the number three tight end, goes to Georgia's hometown school and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Gilbert, I don't even think he got in the game until a little bit later. I'm actually a little surprised he would transfer there considering, you know, this is the room that actually doesn't need you. And he has to be locked into the football part of this because I think towards the end, he, like some other LSU players, weren't entirely uh, signed up for the assignment. So that's the uh, Georgia side of it. As far as Bo Nix, welcome to the show. Uh, Bo Nix broke the hearts of Oregon Ducks fans three years ago with an impossible throw that somehow worked out. We saw his dad in the stands a hundred different times. Uh, Bo Nix is an adventure. And honestly, I think over a full season, it's an adventure that you're not totally excited for. Um, but the first pick wasn't really his problem. The corner made an unbelievable catch on that. The second pick was brutal. They didn't really have much of a chance. They couldn't seem to block anything there with Georgia, and Georgia looks loaded up again. And when I picked them to be outside of the playoff, because I was like, maybe a little bit of a national championship hangover, I get a call from somebody who knows, not from Georgia, but somebody who talks to guys in Georgia, who's like, just a heads up on your Georgia thing, because they're thrilled with their roster. And they're like, this is a joke again, and go ahead and doubt us if you want, especially if you know, Bennett is a little bit better. So, keeping track of the transfers, remember that Finley went to Auburn from LSU, and he beat out Calzada and then another Oregon backup who transferred there who beat out Calzada for the backup to Finley. <laughs> and then Bo Nix was like, I'll go to Oregon, where again, one of the other Oregon QBs ended up in Auburn. This will make sense a little bit later. Quick notes on the ACC, NC State ECU. Uh, look, Devin Leary, the quarterback for NC State, physically has is, is that guy. He, he's worth paying attention to. App State scores 40 points in the fourth quarter against UNC. Are you kidding? And then Old Dominion beats uh, Virginia Tech. So not great, Bob, for the ACC at the start of these things. Uh, here's a QB line from Max Olson of The Athletic, speaking of the transfers and trying to keep up with this stuff. Uh, of the starters that we had this week, there's 131 FBS college football programs. 60 were transfers. 
40 were transfers this cycle. So the next time some transfer who was, you know, big time guy, power five, decides to bounce from one power five to the next, and then you hear in the spring it's an open competition, it's not. Because if that guy's good enough to transfer somewhere else that's a decent school, that means there's another 10 schools that would take him. And at some point, someone's going to have to guarantee him that the starting spot is him. But then he'll say, hey, we're going to make sure it's a competition. It's not a competition. Almost every single one of these guys starts. One third of the college football landscape has a starting quarterback to start this year who was part of the most recent transfer cycle. That is an insane number. On the bets, Arkansas-Cincinnati winner. I don't think I've ever heard an announcer as much as Rod Gilmore want Cincinnati's quarterback to be benched in that game. Uh, Bryant, who originally was at Cincinnati, then left for one of the Michigan schools, smaller ones, and then came back to Cincinnati. Another transfer uh, in there. We're close in that game. Um, Arkansas wins it. That was a winner. The loser, LSU. All right, let's discuss that game late last night. Van Lathan comes down to hang out. Baton Rouge guy. We're sitting there, and we're like, how do you feel? And he's like, I don't know. I don't feel great. He called it. He's like, I don't like this old line. And we started talking about Jaden Daniels, the Arizona transfer. I said, I don't know if they made him the starter because he's awesome, because he was dynamic as a freshman. And then you kept watching Arizona State, and you're like, I don't know. This is kind of falling apart. I think he trusts to run a little bit more. I think what we're seeing here, not to say that Nussmeyer, the backup, uh, because Max Johnson, who is the other backup, is now in Texas A&M. There's a theme here. Daniels transfers to LSU. He's probably told he's going to be the starter. They can pretend that he wasn't told that, whatever. Uh, then the official announcement wasn't until very, very late. But Daniels may be the starter because this LSU line can't block. The O-line has major problems. Freshman at left tackle, fifth-year guy at right tackle that wasn't having a great night on top of everything else. And so as you watch the game play out, Florida State's converting every third down, eight of the first 12. Jordan Travis, quarterback now, second year as a starter for Florida State. He's terrific. He is really, really good. Uh, much better quarterback than I thought Daniels was for the entire night. And yet you're going, wait, LSU's going to have a chance at this. They go almost 99 yards to tie it until they have the blocked extra point um, from the side, which doesn't really happen that often on extra points. They had the two punt fumbles by neighbors on the returns. They had the extra, uh, they had the field goal that was blocked on top of all this stuff. And so you're left with wondering what's going on. And by the way, Butte, one of the best receivers in the entire country. I don't know what was going on with his routes. Was he so upset about not getting the ball early? He only had like four targets, I believe. Um, one of the targets was on him for not getting it. Butte unfollowed and erased all the LSU content and then was had to be consoled on the sideline. I don't know if that what that means. Unfortunately for LSU fans, it's been a long stretch of guys that don't seem to want to be there. But with Brian Kelly in place, you feel like, okay, the Coach O stuff, now it's sort of over. Things just didn't seem to be super locked up. And a lot of players that didn't want to be there. I don't know if this means it's just a frustrated kid after a night and not catching enough balls. But if you look at the difference between Travis for Florida State going through his reads and Daniels, who I don't think goes through a ton of reads and wants to still run first, he may be out there because he's just better equipped to deal with an offensive line that can't necessarily block him. And on top of Mason Smith, their best defensive player, I, looks like tearing up his knee on that first series. And then Ali Gay, who's trying to headbutt Travis. I have no idea what he was doing defensive captain there. So not a great night for LSU. And predictably, people just hate Brian Kelly. And I don't love that he left when his team was going into a playoff, but I'd like to see how many other people would turn down $100 million to go coach at one of the elite programs in college football. It's not great. It's the way business works. Business isn't always great. Uh, but man, the, and then it kind of was the Nebraska thing of LSU being the only game on and all of the mistakes, getting that close, coming back, and then ultimately blowing it that way. Uh, LSU fans, just so you know, national media, national fan base does not like your head coach. Speaking of social media, a moment, if you allow it. 
I have a lot of friends. I have people that I'm not friends with that cover football. And this time of year, really seem to pick up the momentum, this, this lead up to it. It's like, man, I love football, but dot, dot, dot. What's the dot, dot, dot? You're going to be busy now? Yeah, it's called a job. Uh, I get it. You're going to be away from the family a little bit more. Um, you know, you're going to have to get on a couple flights, you know, you have to stick, stick around after the game's done. Maybe get some post game react, have to check in on a practice, chase down the story. In college football, if you just cover, cover one team and they're good, you may go on the road four or five times in the NFL. You're going to go on the road, what? Eight or nine times. The other times you're going to be home. You're going to be home during the week. You'll be putting the kids to bed most nights. Uh, if you have kids, some of you even have help. Um, I think the travel part of it, again, it's it's single digits. It's probably single digits flights. And it's the shortest season of any of the sports. College, you're going to be done beginning of January. The NFL, if your team's any good, maybe it goes into February. Maybe if you're a national guy, you have to go Super Bowl whole deal. I just wanted to point something out. I want to talk about this thing called baseball. They go 162. You know when they have off days? It's called the random Monday or Thursday. And that's when you're on a plane getting to the next city where you watch three or four games in a row. And then you fly to the next one. <laughs> Sometimes you're gone for like two weeks. And then you come back and then you leave again. And that season starts in like February. And sometimes the guys in the team called pitchers and catchers get there even earlier than the rest of the team. And that means you have to go down there too. And then if your team is good, you sit there from February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, the dog days, and then into October because they keep expanding the playoffs. And then it could even go into November. And then they have an offseason called the Hot Stove League. You get to stay on top of that too. So, I'm just pointing out that maybe, you know, these jobs that we have, they're pretty cool. Like we just talk about sports the whole time. When you cover football, it's the easiest of the sports to cover. Rant over. Kick off week one with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets. Guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet, just sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to get in on the action. Then you can turn game day into payday all season long. All right, here's our first NFL play. I'm going to go straight spread here, and we're going to take Pittsburgh plus the 6.5. Some places 7, 6.5 right now on FanDuel at Cincinnati. Everybody's going to be on Cincinnati. Pittsburgh, all sorts of question marks. Division game. Go ahead. Take the six and a half. All right. Play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Kansas. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager, only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com.
gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP-LOUISIANA. 1-877-8- Hope New York or text Hope New York to 467 369 New York. Tennessee Redline, 1 800 889 9789. Tennessee, 1 800 522 4700 Wyoming, or visit 1 800 Gambler.net in West Virginia. He'll be joining us throughout the season every other week. Thrilled to have our guy Trent Dilfer back on the show. What's up, man? It's been a while. Uh, I'm, I'm fired up to have you, man. Yeah, last pro night practice and it's good to see well, you. Well, uh, I appreciate the invite every year to Elite 11. It's awesome because I get to talk to you. I get to talk to all your staff and then you kind of put certain guys on my radar and then it's amazing. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, uh, you guys are not screwing around because every time the amount of information I get from those two hours on just kind of like, this is how we feel about this player. This is how we feel about this player and how often you are right. Mm-hmm. It is astonishing. Uh, I, I mean, I, could, I didn't mean to start here, but I don't know what it is. Like you just, I mean, you guys do a great job. I'm not kissing your ass here. I'll get a nugget where I'm like, there's no way that's going to happen. And then it's week six and it happens. Um, why do you think your staff's so good at this? I think it starts with Brian Stump. He's been doing it forever. He's the president of student sports. He did the very first elite 11 with Bob Johnson, Andy Bark, Nike headquarters, but way back in the day. And then he kind of showed us kind of the scouting profile and then myself and Joey and Jordan and George and Hoover and Paul and I can go on and on and on kind of just over the Quincy just over the years kind of figured out the traits that matter the most that are transferable to the next levels. And, and I think what gets misinterpreted sometimes is sometimes the best high school quarterback doesn't have the best future in college football. There's some defining traits that over now 12 years, we found to be pretty consistent uh, with guys that are going to make it. And a lot of it comes down to dude qualities. A lot of it comes down to the DQs. They're all very talented. They're all big and strong or twitchy or fast or, you know, whatever their physical traits are. But uh, we haven't missed on many that have the true DQs, the ones that can go into a room, own the room, handle the environments that they're going to be put in, are competitive, that are self-motivated, that aren't entitled, um, that can process quickly, that can um, can learn, we call them one rep guys, guys that are one, one rep guys, you know, they do something wrong. They trust you for feedback. You give them feedback and they fix it. Uh, those are the guys that tend to make it. Well, it also lays a great foundation for understanding every class that now comes into the NFL. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of the second year guys, but the first question is just in general, what do you look for when you're watching the second year guys? What's that thing you go, okay, I want to see this. This needs to be different. And if it isn't, that's a problem. Yep. Command. So easy. It's the number one thing you're looking for. Do they have command? Now, command has a couple verticals underneath it. You command of the people around you. You're not trying too hard, but do you just own it? Are they looking to you for information? Have you earned it in the offseason? Have you earned it in the weight room? Have you earned it in the team meetings? Have you earned it having flying to guys and throwing with them in the offseason? Have you earned it by earning their respect? If you do, you'll have command because they're looking to the quarterback to kind of command that team. Uh, and it's it's as clear as day whether they have it or not. 
Uh, then command of the offense. They don't have to be perfect all the time. They're going to still make a ton of mistakes, and they're still going to have flaws within their game. Like uh, Justin Fields, who we'll get into, still is not going to be great in the spread game. He's not going to anticipate those tight window throws in the short to intermediate game as well as he will next year or the year after. But does he have command of the offense? Is he directing the line of scrimmage? Is he not allowing free runners and blitz? Um, are they not having foolish penalties at the line of scrimmage? Is he lining guys up? Is he changing his cadence around, which is a huge thing in the NFL? Do you have the confidence to switch the cadence up so your offensive linemen is not, aren't at a disadvantage for the defensive linemen? Um, just little things like that. Do you have command of your offense? And then do you have command of the ball? That does not, does not mean every throw is perfect. Does not mean you're not going to have some turd rockets. But ultimately, is he throwing the ball on the outside eyeball in an outbreaking route? Is he layering a ball versus zone coverage to get it over a defender uh, that's dropping in zone? Uh, is he leading receivers in the deep ball? Runaways. Think of those deep over routes everybody's running. Is he leading him and throwing him open? Uh, is he making tight window throws where he, where he is throwing a guy open, back shoulder fades, comebacks versus tight coverage, uh, inside whip routes where the guy's hanging on them? Like, is he throwing guys open? That shows me as command of the ball. If he has command, I'm he's going to be fine. He's not only going to be fine, he's going to be really good, especially if he has the physical traits to go with. How bad do you feel about field setup for the second year? Not as bad as everybody else. Um, I don't think they'll be super dynamic. Uh, I agree with those people that have said it's it's not a dynamic skill position roster offensively. I don't think it's bad, though. I mean, I've watched, I actually watched them play more than anybody else in the preseason for whatever reason. And I love what they're doing offensively. I think it can be – I think you can have a solid middling offense with average people. And, and I, people are going to go, well, that's really exciting. <laughs> but if you play good defense and you make good plays, those teams go 9-7. and seven. Those teams go 10 and six. If you play good defense, you're well coached. You make good decisions. You don't turn it over. I get it. We're in an era where everybody's trying to be explosive. And I want to be too. Like I'm ticked off my team right now because we have as explosives. I want to be in three games. But you're, the ultimate job is to win the game. And, and I do believe he's a winner. I do believe the system around him is a winning system. It's just not an overly explosive system. They're going to have to run the ball well. For this system to work, they have to run the ball from the dot um very well they're gonna have to establish the play action game and then justin's gonna have to be aaron Rodgers year two and if people remember aaron Rodgers year two it wasn't always the prettiest passing but he made plays you know you could just feel that this guy was gonna i remember me and colin used to argue about all the time colin wasn't a believer i was and i'm just like hey he makes plays when they need to make plays they're not the greatest offense in the world he's not the most consistent of all time but he's gonna be and he makes plays with his feet, with his arm, in critical moments. And Justin's going to have to be that. Here's the term. He's going to have to be clutch in big moments because they're going to play a lot of really close games where it's going to be a one-score game. And he's going to have to make a play. By the way, Lipscomb Academy, 3-0 in those three games. Good start for Trent and the guys. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think, were you actually one of the few guys that was like, I really like him, but he's not one of these all-time prospects that people are making him out to be? I believe that's what you said. And I felt like yeah. last year, okay, the thing's a mess, the urban part's a mess, all of the, it's not a great roster, all these different things. I was kind of surprised, and I don't know if it was him forcing things or not seeing things. There were mistakes later in the season for him that I'm like, wait, I, I didn't really, like, I thought he was, 
Now, it could just be a mess of a season. It doesn't mean anything. I was a little bit more. I guess I go into his second year being like, wait, is he not this home run guy that I thought I watched at Clemson because I loved him at Clemson? And you clearly liked him a little bit less than I did. Yeah. So I want to put this contextually. <laughs> I don't want the headline to be like, Dilfer doesn't like Trevor. I love Yeah, Dilfer. never did. Yeah, <laughs> never saw I'm, it second round. No, that's not love, what I'm saying. Love him as a person. I think he's a fantastic leader. I think he's got all the DQs you can look for. He's got incredible talent. All those things, he will be successful. He does not, at this point, have elite field vision. He didn't at Clemson. He didn't last year. Um, he does not see it like the great passers. And people are going to go, how do you know? Well, because one, I didn't see it great either at times. There were years I did. Uh, there were times I felt like I saw it as good as anybody. Um, so I know the difference. I know what you're looking for to look at a guy if he's seeing it right. Tends to hang on something too long, which doesn't allow him to see it. He doesn't move on through his progressions. Uh, and this was common at Clemson. They were so talented. There was so much perimeter pick and stick. There was so much RPO where it was like, um, you know, pick this guy and stick with him or either or it's him or somebody else. That he really wasn't trained to get off of stuff. He would His, his philosophy was, well, I'll just throw him open if he's not covered. And it worked a lot of times because he has tremendous talent, but that's that's going to lead to this in the NFL. And I would think in year two, you're going to see way higher peaks. Uh, he will do some phenomenal stuff because he is phenomenally talented. Uh, they're better around him. Um, so they have people that can make plays. I like their system. I think their system's going to be solid. Uh, but he's going to have some scratch-your-head moments because he just doesn't see it like the elite guys. And, and don't just take my word for it. I mean, us quarterbacks, we talk in the offseason and, and we're all rooting for Trevor and we all think he's a unique talent, but we've all kind of said the same thing is we're going to need to see him see the field better, make more full field reads, get off of stuff faster, take the cheese, move the chains more often. Uh, once he gets that point, which I think he will, uh, but it might be year three, might be year four before you see the consistency that great quarterbacks in the NFL have. Whenever a team sucks in the preseason, I think the fan base, depending on, <laughs> on how the media goes, it's like, well, they're, 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 they're going to show their stuff. Yeah. They're going to show their stuff. I'm like, maybe they suck. Uh, what What is, I imagine every organization is a little bit different, the coaching philosophy on this stuff. I still have a hard time believing that you're going to have three preseason games where you don't have any install whatsoever of the stuff that you're going to want to run during the season. What is What is real? Give me the best answer you can on this default excuse for teams that don't look good, especially on offense in the preseason. Yeah, it's, it tends to be offense. Uh, I think it's baloney. I think, you know, I w when we were bad on offense, we used that excuse. And then guess what? Week one, two, and three is the same stuff, but different for me. You know what I mean? It was the same stuff. Uh, the few offenses that were on that were pretty darn good or had great offensive coaches, so Mike Holmgren, North Turner, um, Billick was this way. Uh, you ran the stuff that you thought you'd be good at. You ran the stuff to highlight players. Now, you didn't show them all the wrinkles to it, but you worked on the stuff that you've been working on since the spring. Like, if you're a vertical passing team, you're going to throw vertical passes. You're going to have pass protections that fit your vertical passing game. If you're a run-run a action team, you're going to try to run the rock and run action. You're not going to drop back pass all the time because you haven't been working on it that much. So I think it's, I think it's baloney. Uh, I think the really good teams take the philosophy offensively is we're going to dictate terms. We don't really care if you think you know what we're doing. 
uh, we're going to dress it up in such a way and stay on the attack that you're not going to stop us. Like I guarantee you, Mike March ran 525 F post in the preseason. That's the best play. It's Kurt Warner's favorite play. It's one of the greatest plays of the Coriel system of all time. And everybody knows they run it. And guess what? They ran it the preseason and they probably were really good at it. Now, when they went and played the first opponent, they might have shift, shifted tight end. They might have motioned the, the zebra receiver. They might have hopped the back. They might have done it out of a cluster instead of a spread. But you're going to run 525 F post. I mean, you're just going to do it because it's one of the best plays in your playbook. The same way the West Coast is going to run Fox 2X and Y hook. Like everybody knows you can run Fox 2X and Y hook. It's one of the best play action classes in all of football. You're going to run it five, six times in the preseason. It's probably going to be the third call of the game, the first game of the year. That was a great answer. What do you expect from Russell Wilson in Denver? I think magic. I'm bullish. I, I usually like to be the contrarian on some of these offseason moves, too. You know what I mean? I usually be like, well, it's going to take time, chemistry, not with Russ. I think the guy's magic. I mean, I. I think it's been like four years in a row by week six or seven. I'm like, oh, there's your MVP, you know, and he, he hasn't. But I think he's one of the best players in all football. I think he's a unique leader. Uh, I really like the, the skill position guys he's working with, and I like their temperaments. I got to know Jerry really well when uh, he was working out with two as I was training two before the draft. Jerry is a pro. You know, he's going to be a guy that takes every little nuance of coaching from the quarterback really well. So I think you're going to see him just skyrocket. Um, and the, you know, the, the, is it Hamler, the quick kid from Penn state? Yeah. I mean, he, he's your locket. So if, if you're, if you're Russell Wilson, you're like, man, I just lit up the NFC West with locket and this guy's even faster. He's got all, he's got the same skill set. You got the big guy, uh, outside of, of him and, and Judy. So they can run the ball. They got a two headed monster run the football. I like their offensive line. I think they're going to be magical offensively. I don't know anything about them defensively except their free safety. <laughs> like. They're good players. I know that. I've watched them play. They play so well, but I think it's going to be a defense and needs to have a chip on his shoulder. They're obviously playing very good skill position people in their division, which you know every defense in that division is going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, but they're going to have to earn it over time, and they're going to have to play complementary to this explosive offense. You know, I can see this being a defense that may give up a lot of yards, but if they don't give up a lot of points, they can still be really successful. Yeah, I mean, if you go Sutton, Judy, Hamler as your starting three receivers. You know, you should you should feel really good about that. Good offensive uh, line too, uh, yeah. And Ru and Russ makes your offensive line better. I, I would be unless bullish. he blames it. <laughs> yeah, I'd be bullish on any offensive line that's playing with Russ because he's just so magical. He's Ben Roethlisberger when Ben was at his prime, where you don't have to block it right, and he's going to make you right. Now, right. I, I but I also think it's the part of the frustration though, and that's where I think the Russell Wilson part in Seattle, I, I was a little annoyed with. It's been like, look, a lot of the lot of the sacks are actually on you. Like he was he's been so careful about everything he said his entire career, and then it was like planting the seeds of discontent. And they were like, All right, we can't point to sack numbers with this old line because you know, part of the beauty of him is keeping things alive and part of the frustration of blocking him, you have no idea where he is behind you. Yeah, and sack numbers are kind of garbage anyways. You know what I mean? It's when they're at, you know, what what part of the field, what down are they on? Uh, I think Russ has always been really good at third and hard, you know, so whatever third and hard That's is, why seven. I love him. That's that's where I'm like, he's going to figure out a way. It's the athlete in him, not even the quarterback. Like, that's somebody I still have a tremendous amount of trust on. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I completely, there's this part of him on third and seven. It's like, oh, it's the real rollout. It's the flip as he's going to the sideline over the defender, drops before the safety, that touch shit that you just have or you don't have. And to me, yep. he has all that stuff. That's why totally, I totally agree. Uh, 
what's the best you felt opening the season? Oh God! Not health wise, not no, mental health. This is I'm such just... a horrible story, and like this is gonna—I might start crying telling this story. So I'm so glad I asked. Oh, in '99, so '97 was the big year in Tampa. We'd come, built ourselves out of the dust. Bunch of Pro Bowlers, playoffs, won a playoff game. Sky's the limit. '98, we underachieve. Uh, and offense took a lot of the brunt of that, and it wasn't necessarily all our fault. You know, this great defense in 97 didn't play as well, especially in critical moments in 98. Um, so as a team, we just underachieved, but we got the blame. I mean, it was all of us. It wasn't just Dilfer, it was all of us. And we're, we had real chips on our shoulders, and we we got after it in offseason. Uh, it was the best offseason I, season I'd ever had. I was getting older there and I was in my sixth year and got beat up a lot early in my year and early in my career in Tampa. So I had to really heal my body. I did all the things. I mean, I literally was, I was a machine that off season and we were so excited for the regular season. We had a great training camp. We were more explosive in training camp. We were opening it up like everything lined up that this was the coming out party. And I played a lot of bad games in my career, Ryan. I never played one worse than the opening day against the Giants. I felt so good. Uh, our defense played so good. I think they held the Giants to under 160 yards or something. People can look it up. It's some crazy number of how well the defense played. And it wasn't just that I threw picks. I threw like the stupidest, trying too hard, lost us the game, single-handedly lost us the game. Um, and really played bad there for a few weeks. I ended up getting benched. My starting streak got stopped at like 77 that season because I had I followed that stinker up with a couple others and really played some of the worst football of my career after playing good in 97 and 98. Uh, ended up playing good in 99 when I came back and ended up getting hurt, but taught me a valuable lesson of, of expectations, of getting too far ahead of yourself. A lot of these guys, and you hear it with young guys, they're talking about how great they're going to be. They're talking about how explosive they're going to be. Oh, we're going to be unstoppable. Oh, this combination, how do you block us or how do you – stop us and you just hear it from every team you watch the nfl network and they go to these uh camp to camp and it's basically just turn on a tape recorder you're going to hear the same things from the star players and you start getting way out of your head of yourself and playing the game before you actually play it the nfl is hard no matter how good you are and if you get even one play ahead of yourself you're asking for trouble uh, and I made that mistake in a, in a catastrophic way in 99, but I felt so good going into the year. It was crazy. Yep. Not one for the highlight reel, three picks in that one, five turnovers for the team. So you were minus five and that's how you lost to a giants team that only gained 107 yards total. Yep. Uh, and I might throw game. them right to them. Like we had the lead and I'm scrambling around. I remember one to my left. I actually had a guy open like on the second layer, but I should have just thrown it away. And I literally, it was like I was trying to throw it to you on the Zoom. Like I just threw it right to the guy. I don't know why. I, I don't know. I, it was awful. It was a terrible, terrible experience. I had to throw like that in your murals once. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. No, I mean, the funny thing is, is I was then going to transition to what's the worst you felt opening a season. But I don't know. Well, that no, we're gonna that was top- 2000. That was 2000 in, in Baltimore. I mean, the year we won the Super Bowl, I'd come off a broken collarbone and third-degree separation of my throwing shoulder. And the collarbone broke and laid over itself like this when it healed. So this one right here, you can still feel the giant bone where it laid so over. So not end-to-end over. 
Yeah. And then the AC joint, I had my sixth separation on it. So I couldn't throw. I didn't throw. Gosh, I don't think I threw till May. And I had lost. I had a pretty big arm. I had a huge arm in the first four years of my career, a really good arm, 98, 99. And I went in a 2000 with a pea shooter. I mean, it, if I went from throwing at 75 to 80, if you're just going to go long toss, I think I threw it 80 yards one time, probably threw it 72, 73, 98, 99. I bet you I couldn't throw about 60 yards in 2000. And, and that, that equated to a lot of the driving throws. And I was going to Billick, who likes to throw the ball down the field. So I go to that training camp, Tony Banks just ripping fire all over the place. And I'm throwing little pea shooters out there like I'd never done. Like I'd had a huge arm since I was 16 years old. So um, that that sucked. My body hurt uh, from the rehab of the shoulder um, because I rehabbed the shoulder so hard. I let some other things slide, and I felt like crap going into 2000. I feel like crap the whole year. I was never healthy. I was even close to healthy that year. Um, and part of that I think is why I managed so well when I took the job over because I couldn't do a lot of things that I used to be able to do. So there were just things I chose not to even look at because I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, I ended up getting that back when I got to Seattle uh, for a couple of years before I tore my Achilles. But man, 2000 in training camp on a scale of one to 10, I felt like a four. And during the season, I probably felt like a six. And there you go. You won the Super Bowl. Uh, a couple more things here. Are you surprised that with this roster, you know, I'm not the biggest Jimmy G guy that's well documented, but when you think of, hey, Super Bowl, NFC Chain, I still can't believe they beat Green Bay last year in that game. But when you think about the roster and knowing that Lance has just less reps behind him, um, I think this also speaks to like when a team tells you how they feel about the incumbent. Like, this is a big, big move here. Are you surprised that they're going uh, to Lance to run the show here, knowing what the rest of the roster is like and what they've done in the past? I'm not because how Kyle runs the offense. Uh, I think you're going to see a 49ers team that has always run the ball well. They're going to run it better than they've ever run. They're going to action it better than they've ever actioned it. They're going to make more big plays. Uh, don't forget what Kyle did with RG3 that one year. Uh, he, you're going to see some of that stuff back. You're going to see some... Trey Lance is a dynamic runner. RG3 was dynamic, not strong. Trey Lance is dynamic and strong. And he likes it. Like Trey Lance likes to run. Um, so I think now I'm not saying they're going to be running the, you know, the double arc RPO reads like Baltimore does, but I think they're going to have some of that stuff. I, I think you're going to have a nice dose of run driven quarterback run driven offense, which is going to get you defined looks in the secondary to create big plays. It's the formula that worked for Kaepernick with the Niners. It worked for RG three with the commanders. Um, it'll work. It's worked with uh, Lamar and Baltimore. Uh, you've seen elements. Green Bay did it a few, a little bit with Aaron a handful of years ago. Uh, you're, you saw it with Russell Wilson. Like you're seeing with these guys that have dynamic legs. Uh, you're going to see that. And what it does to a defense is it just forces you to define looks. And, and I'll go back to when I was at ESPN and all the old curmudgeons would say, oh, this is a fad. This is a fad. And I said, no, it's not. And it's not. Like you're only going to see more of it. You're only going to see more of these advantages because you gain a gap. You force the defense to play a one-high defense or cover zero, and now you have advantageous looks in the passing game. I want to do some rapid fire, but it, actually, it doesn't have to be quick here. Um, I'm springing this on you. 
I don't know if I want to ask it in the sense of like moving forward for their careers or just kind of how you feel about the quarterbacks now. Maybe you've changed your mind at all with these guys. All right. So I'm going to pair up a couple guys. Ready? Uh, Burrow or Herbert moving forward? Oh. <laughs> I, I, you're both so good. Uh, Herbert, the defense, I, I think they've supported him so much team wide. Um, and the, but every time you say something positive about, I mean, they're both such great players. Okay, let's just put it in a vacuum. Let's take away the rest of it. Cause I'd actually argue the Chargers have not done a great job with it, but we were just so, like, even though Cincinnati made to the Super Bowl, watching that Tennessee game again the other day for me, I'm like, I can't believe Burroughs survived that game. Uh, and I guess the offensive line's better, but I think that just might be, you know, it's supposed to be. We'll see. Yeah. So let's just, let's just do it in a vacuum. Like, if you could just pick sides, who would you want? Do you want to abstain from this one? No, I like I love them both. Um, sorry, that's my dog angry at something. Um, I Here would go with Herbert because of the what I would call the horsepower twitch metric. That means that he has a rare combination of like your big beast giant horsepower, so think your muscle car engine, and then the twitch of a Tesla. Like you just do not find that. And what you can do with that as a play designer and as you develop talent around you is unlimited. Burrow's very talented. He has really good arm talent, but he does not have unique horsepower twitch like Herbert has. Good answer. All right, Tua or Mac? Tua or what? Tua or Mac Jones? Uh, Tua. Uh, you know, I'm bullish on Tua. And I, now with Tyreek Hill there, Waddle, uh, McDaniel, play designing, I, I think Tua is ready to have a really, really good year. I'm not going to say like Pro Bowl or anything like that. The conference is so low with quarterbacks, but he's going he's gonna to be one of the better quarterbacks. Who knows with the alternates, like half the guys didn't get named to the Pro Bowl at some point anyway. That's, so That's true. Wentz or Baker? Baker. I, I You know, everybody's so down on Baker. I said it from day one on Baker. Just know what he is, and you'll like him. Don't make him to be something he's not. Everybody wanted him to be this Steve Young, right? And I said, no, he's at, he needs to try to be Drew Brees. If he can try to be Drew Brees and become a great timing, rhythm, tempo passer, which he has in him, he's a fierce competitor. Players love him. He's a tough guy. He's always played well in big moments. Uh, I think Baker can be a really good quarterback in this league. Yeah, I mean, he brings it on himself a little bit, but I don't, I don't know that anyone can watch those games and be honest, even if you don't like Baker. Uh, he was hurt. He was hurt. Yeah. Significantly. Like, the way he was just moving around, I'm like, okay, this guy's super banged up. And I'm not telling you I loved all of it. Um, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. But it's crazy how bad the history is on those top picks. I did the podcast last week on it. When you go through like a 10-year draft of first-round picks, there's like five that complete flame out. There's five that are basically franchise stalwarts, and there's about 15 of them uh, that go to another team after like significant starts. You know, Sanchez, on and on and on. And Tannehill's like the only guy that you could really say, maybe Jameis, if he stayed healthy in New Orleans, could be the starter there for another five years, maybe. But Tannehill, after three years, like you're like, that's the one guy that went to a new team as a former first and, and made it work. And, and felt like they got, and even they took a quarterback. So uh, what Baker's trying to do here historically doesn't quite work out. 
But I, I think it feels a little early to turn the page on a guy that I saw that looked physically incapable of even being out on the field. Well, yeah, I, I thought you, he was that banged up last year. I, I agree, and we use these first-round pick stuff, but who's to say that any of them should have been – I mean, a lot of these guys shouldn't have been first-round picks. That's why I think draft draft time is always the most fun to talk quarterbacks because you just see the ignorance of so many people elevating quarterbacks that don't have first-round traits or first-pick traits. So I think the reason the hit rate, the, the bust rate is so high is because they're being way, 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 way overdrafted um, based on need. Um, and the same people keep making the same mistakes and somehow people keep believing them that they know what they're doing. So, um, I think I, I try to be very politically correct when I say this every year, I just want you to know what you're getting. You know, this is kind of what I do is look at quarterbacks and not compare them to me. Most of them are better than me. So hear that clear. All you haters, I'm not saying Trent Dilfer said they need to be like him. So I've done this a long time and it is really, really clear when a, a guy is being made out to be something that he does not have the physical, emotional, or mental traits to be. If you just know what you're getting, then a lot of times they, um, they exceed your expectations. And now you're excited to have that guy. If you drafted Baker Mayfield in the second round, you'd be thrilled to death to have him. Uh, and that's where he should have been drafted. Um, so I, I just think guys need to know what they're getting when they get that guy and they would coach differently and have different expectations around. I could talk about the quarterback thing all day with you. You know that and how much I've gone back and looked at the drafting thing. And I've kind of landed on like, well, maybe that's just what it is. It's just the position. It's it's almost like getting married. You know, all the people are like, hey, this is great. I figured it out. It's like, well, half of you guys screw it up too. So, um, or maybe you're the screw up. So. But you said something, because when I started looking at like the second chance guys, the rate was even worse than just the normal bus rate of like 50% over a 20-year stretch. And I shared in that podcast a Ringer coworker because he didn't tell me the name of it, so I don't want to use his name or whatever, but it was Van Dyke, the Miami kid. And he was like, oh, is he a second rounder? And the GM had told him, well, anyone with a second round, great is a first round pick now because the other theory being just keep drafting him until you hit it right. But then it reminds me of the stuff of like Matt Barkley, where Matt Barkley's a top 10 pick if he doesn't go back to USC. Sam Howell at North Carolina was thought to be a first round pick. He goes in the fifth round after another year at UNC. That does I don't know what other sport that happens in. Yes, there's some exceptions, but for that position that's that important and that you've watched a year of film and you're like, I will take him ahead of... um I don't know, 230 players. And now I'm going to take 200 players ahead of him because of another 12 game sample. Like that's, that's insane variance at that position. That is more telling than maybe even just the bus that you could have a guy five rounds lower after another season. Like that just wouldn't happen with a basketball player. Okay. So I will, I think I might be the only human on the planet that believes this in a quarterback world. My, my buddies who I respect disagree with what I'm about to say, but I strongly believe in it. Uh, don't play them so fast, number one. <laughs> okay, so wherever you draft them, don't throw them on the field so fast. They, they need time to watch it and learn and learn from somebody else's mistakes. I think that's, it's like parenting. Um, I've told my, I'm a granddad now, by the way. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. You're he's great. Five, he's five weeks old. And I told my daughter forever, like, you don't have to make mistakes parenting. I made them with you. 
you know, learn from my mistakes. When they were growing up, I told them like, you don't have to go do this terrible thing and learn from it. I'll tell you how I did it. I learned from it. Here's the pain it caused. So don't go make the same mistake I made and cause that pain. I think a quarterback sitting his first year-ish, and that could be eight months, that could be 16 months, you know, somewhere in that year-ish, he'll watch somebody else do a bunch of really stupid things. He'll also watch his offensive coordinator and offensive staff learn about their team, and he won't have to go through the growing pains of, oh, we thought that receiver is going to be really good, but he's not, so we need to replace him. We thought this running back could be a bell cow, but he can't. Or we got this left guard. He's not great in protection, but he's a run guy. Oh, no, he's terrible. He gets us killed on third down. Well, guess what? Trent Dilfer, the journeyman, gets to come in and make all those mistakes so that Matt Hasselback can watch him and learn from him. And I, there's something magical about that. I don't think Mahomes is Mahomes as fast if he doesn't have Alex Smith. I don't think Carson Palmer is Carson Palmer without John Kitna. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, I swear Aaron Rodgers isn't Aaron Rodgers without Brett Favre. And what these guys learned was they got to see all the mistakes somebody else made. And if they're smart, they learn from them. And they learn to play the position different than they thought in their head. Uh, I think that's one big thing. Um, the other thing with, with drafting quarterbacks is what are you looking for? Like, what were they looking for, the scouts, when they said Sam Howell was a first-round pick? And I love – Sam's a friend. But when he asked me, I said, yeah, you know, third, fourth. You know, that's – you're built like a third. You have the talent, the third or fourth-round pick. You know, I told Mitch Trubisky to stay in school when he called me. Uh, I said, you know, you're, you're a third round guy that if you play a lot of really good football this year, you could play like a first rounder because you have the talent of a first rounder. You got to play a lot of football before you know what they are. When they don't play a lot of football in college, you are guessing. You're totally guessing. Peyton Manning played four full years at Tennessee. Tom Brady played a lot of football. Aaron Rodgers played a lot of football. The one common denominator of these guys that are great is they played a lot of football. Uh, you got to see how they handled success and failure. Uh, they they were the quarterback more times than everybody else. And I don't just mean the quarterback on Sundays or Saturdays. I mean the quarterback on Tuesdays, on Mondays, after a loss, after a win, a quarterback in the locker room with the social justice issue. And how do you handle that? A quarterback in the locker room when a domestic abuse issue comes up on your team, a quarterback in the locker room when your coaches are freaking crazy and losing their minds. A quarterback in the locker room when the trainer's a bad trainer, he's throwing guys out on the field too soon, and he has to be the guy that's the glue of the team. So it's, you know, you're the CEO of the team. And the more times you are the quarterback, the more times you are the CEO, the better you're going to be at it. And we're drafting Mark Sanchez after 16 starts after he lights it up against Penn State in the Rose Bowl, thinking that he's been the quarterback enough. And he just hadn't been the quarterback enough. And I think I think that's the one you look at more than anything is how much have they been the quarterback? Uh, and when they've been, and that's what I love about this youth grassroots movement is now you're getting guys who are starting their high school as a freshman, sophomore, and they're they're the quarterback three years in high school. Then they go to college and they play early, and they're the quarterback for three years in college. You've been the quarterback a lot. That's the guy I'm gonna. That's the guy I have a a, a clear picture of who he is. Now I can say. That's a first rounder. That's a second rounder. That's a third rounder. That's a franchise guy. Like that's a franchise guy. Um, 
that's the mistake I think I see made more than any other mistake uh, in the NFL is they just, the, the guys drafting don't understand what being the quarterback is and that how important it is to be the quarterback as many times as possible. I'm a big proponent of like, you can't figure it out until you do it. But with how bad this has gone, I might be convinced that, you know, if I were drafting somebody now, I'd make sure I had an Alex Smith. I'd make sure I had a kitten and an OG, a guy that's been a million different places. Even Alex is a perfect profile of being this top pick and all of this stuff. Like, it's not working. And I don't like blaming just, hey, everyone that picks quarterbacks is an idiot. I just think that's an outsider view that somehow makes people feel better about their own evaluations when they're home on Saturdays. Like, I don't believe, I just think it's, you know, I think it's part partly just the position and the need and to keep going over and over again. But you might, you know, I don't know. I mean, shit, you know way more than I do. Well, well, no, so hold on. You might be, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying everybody's an idiot. There's, I'm not saying you're saying it. that. I'm, I'm yeah. saying like, I see it a lot. Like, I think here's the deal. When you're younger, you want to think everybody's an idiot, whether you're in the media yeah, or not in the media, I agree. right? You just, you're so convinced that everybody's a fucking moron. Yep. And then I don't know, like, I'll never forget when I asked, I ran into Bob Ryan at a Celtics thing. I'm in my twenties. I'm so full of myself. And I'm like, oh, this guy sucks. What the hell is he doing? And Bob Ryan just looks at me and shrugs. He goes, eh, maybe. And I'm like, how, what are you talking about? Like, how are you not agreeing with me here? And I just, I just know, cause I've been a young guy. You've been a young guy. There's this this pissiness towards sports, whether you played it or you didn't, where you want to think that you're right about all of these things. And I think the anti-quarterback thing is like it's not wrong to be mad at the front offices here, but to throw all 32 front offices yeah. into the same bucket and say they're all just bad and there's this magic formula nobody's figured out yet. I don't believe in that. Either do I and parents are the same way. Every parent in their young 30s thinks they have all the answers. And I was the same way. And then you realize once your kids go through puberty and go to high school and leave for college, that you really didn't know squat, that a lot of it was just luck, the good stuff you did. <laughs> so it's the same thing with sports. Parents are the same way. I'll say this. There's a flip side to this too, though. And I, I've seen this. People are going to say, what about Troy Aikman and Peyton Manning and some of the other ones that started right away? Well, of course and, there are. I mean, that's well, why people argue. But go but ahead. If you, but here's the common denominator of them. They had super long leashes and they had highly aggressive offensive coordinators that had been there and done it a long time. And they sat with those guys and said, Hey, this is going to be some really hard times, but we're going to keep ripping it. We're going to keep going. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes and we're going to learn from them. And by the way, we're not necessarily trying to win right now. We're trying to win the game, but like we're really trying to win a Super Bowl three, four years from now. And we're going to give you a really long leash and we're going to make sure the expectations around here are we know he's going to make mistakes. He's going to learn from them, and we're going to celebrate when he learns from them. And you go back and you talk to some of these guys that did play right away, that had the Norv Turners and um, who was calling plays for uh, uh, Arians, who was calling plays for Peyton, I believe. You know, you have these guys who are like, hey, I know how to handle this. I can live with you making some of these mistakes. We as an organization can live with you making some of these mistakes because we know if you continue to be a pro, and you learn from them that we have great things coming. I'm cool with that philosophy. The one I'm not cool with is, oh, he's really good. Yeah, we're going to go win the AFC West with this guy as a rookie. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know what I mean? It happens every once in a while. You're probably not doing the first three years. But and now the fan base goes, oh, my gosh, we got Joe Schmo, who's got this 94 milk hyper ranking and 97 scouts say he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. and all these different things that come out, 
man, we're going to do it this year. I'm going to drop my fantasy team because everybody says he's going to be so good. You just set that kid up for failure. Okay, last thing. I don't know how much you watched of the college stuff this week, so you know, you tell me whether or not you, you did. I don't know if I... Who's your favorite college quarterback in this group? CJ and Bryce are right there neck and neck. Uh, having them both this... Here's what I love about most about both those guys. Um, how mature they are. They're pros. Like, those two are pros. We're, we're, you know, you were with us in LA. I was with them for three days and got to spend a ton of time with them as well as having them elite 11 and when they're in high school and they're so mature beyond their years. They're so unselfish. Um, I think CJ has the physical frame that you're looking for with an NFL quarterback. The one thing about Bryce that is the unknown is he's 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, I heard a rumor he played 168 pounds last year at one time. Like I've never seen that work in the NFL. Doesn't mean it can't. He also is as twitchy as they come. But uh, to me, they're, they're his composure for Bryce. Is oh, the thing that's that unbelievable. Just, and, yeah, yeah. and he never gets hit. Like even oh. every time he like falls away or squirms around and never really takes a shot. But either neck and I, they're both phenomenal. They have the stuff. Like it, the stuff that I've talked about over the years. That's translate when we've seen him at 17 years old and we have a pretty good hit rate of saying that guy's going to be a pro that guy's going to be a really good pro we even said to some like that guy's going to be unique uh both of those guys feel like they're can't miss guys all right i'm afraid of this this is the last thing i'm going to ask you i'm afraid of of the answer um because i'm afraid of like detract away from from how special he looked on a saturday <laughs> and i touched on it in the beginning but like we're all jerks about height I mean, what's Stetson Bennett? Because that kid was yeah, locked awesome. in. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, Stetson Bennett is Chase Daniel. Did you watch Chase Daniel play in college? Uh, not only did I watch him play, when I watched him live, I turned to McShay and I said, no way. <laughs> because yep. there's no way. Because it was that Missouri spread system that didn't yeah. look like football. Like, especially back then, it was just yeah. so weird to see it live, the spreads and the sets, and then... Daniel would get the snap, and it was just like pat, pat. It was backyard. I mean, it was unbelievable. So I was like, oh, is this going to translate? Chase is obviously thicker than Stetson is. Um, yeah, Stetson's twitchier. Um, uh, I'm not saying it can't work, but I think he'll be drafted as a backup. Now, he might be able to earn it. He's got some Romo in him. Now, Romo, again, thicker, a little thicker. bit taller. Yeah. Um, but who's to say Stetson can't get bigger and thicker too you know what i mean like i've never now i'll say this i've never been when stetson was at elite 11 we did have him joey told me this the other day i think we had him like 27 or 28 like he wasn't elite 27 yeah. like he wasn't chopped liver he was one of the better quarterbacks in the country like there was things in fact everybody remembers his hat was on backwards and like he everybody remembers him because he was electric he's a really good football player um i, I just i just know how this NFL thing will work. He'll get because he's not Bryce, right? They'll be the same size, and Bryce will go in the top five, and Stetson will go back half of the second or early third, would be my guess. I was but so impressed really with him. I was so impressed. I'm mean, granted they were smoking Oregon, it didn't matter, but there was something else to his game. It was yeah. it was just a locked in of like, oh, okay, you like. All right, you want me to do this? All right, you know, we're going to do a little of this. And then, oh, you think you figured out? So, okay, never mind. I'm going to go over here. And it's, I mean, Belichick, 
I could see Belichick retiring, hoping to just be on Georgia's staff because of all those tight ends. But yeah, they, uh, they're pretty special. I <laughs> I love the kid from Florida too. Um, yeah, I talked about him in the beginning, man. Talk about a horse. We had him at Elite Eleven, and you'd want to talk about another CJ Stroud, Bryce kind of personality, like mature beyond his years, a team guy, like it, one of the favorite guys of all the Elite Eleven quarterbacks. Just mature beyond his years, and nothing's going to phase him. Um, and I just arm talent that blows your mind, physical talent blows your mind and really smart, a really, really fast processor. Um, so I, I, I think the ceiling is really high for him too. Thanks, Trent. Every other week, Trent Dilfer, uh, keep crushing at Lipscomb. We'll, we'll stay on top of that as well. And, uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks brother. Talk to you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Uh, it's one of, it feels like everybody's favorite show when it comes to the NFL. Uh, Emmy award-winning Good Morning Football airs Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Eastern time on the NFL Network. And joining us now, the newest host, Jamie Erdahl. Uh, what's up? Thanks for doing this. What's up? I'm thrilled. I'm happy to catch up with you. And thank you for having me. So what are we talking? 10 plus years in the business? How, how did this come together? <clears throat> yep. So I got my first big TV job, the one that you write home about, in the fall of 2012. So it feels, feels poetic that in the fall of 2012, I was covering high school football in Minnesota. And then I got my big job at Nesson in Boston that fall in November. And I was off and running. And um, now, 10 years later, I'm hosting Good Morning Football. And it's cool. I've done a lot of stuff in between, a lot of football that made me feel like I was qualified to do it. But until you're sitting in that chair, you know, you don't really realize that everyone else finally thinks you're qualified to do it, too, which was a cool feeling. Now, remind me, because I, I watched a lot at Nesson and I was still... I, I was gone at that point, but I had still done some Comcast stuff right up until I think I left. And then, you know, you were there a couple of years. You had done the Bruin stuff, but you'd also had anchored, correct, at Nesson? Yeah. Yeah. In my two years at Nesson, it was a quick two years, um, uh, pretty much October to October from 12 to 14. Uh, the first the first six to eight months, I was a utility player, I would say. I I mean, I was so new. I was so green. I was covering, you know, post-game at Celtics practice. I went to spring training. You know, on Nesson, at least prominently, it's um, the Red Sox and the Bruins. So I just kind of, I went to, you know, Patriots OTAs, and it just was providing content for the shows that were on throughout the day. It was my, that second year that I became the full-blown Bruins reporter, and I did 82-plus hockey games. And then, um, you know, Jenny Dell left. I really wanted the Red Sox job. I went to Gary Streisky, and I was like, I can't. I love hockey. I have a greater appreciation for it now, but I was like, I can't do this. This is not sustainable. I, I, I know I'm from Minnesota, but it's not my jam. And kind of lo and behold, CBS came calling kind of under the guise that like you do football, but like I've always like loved, loved, loved basketball. I played basketball in college and I just, and so to go somewhere that allowed me to do basketball every day um, after coming off of, you know, 10 months of hockey straight i was like i'll do anything i'll go there so then that's kind of what made me do the switch to cbs all right there's a bunch of follow-ups in there because to start to go from like a high school football to then that same month nesson and 
you know, whatever you think about Nesson, it actually feels like a jumping off point for a lot of people in the business, even though it's a major market. Yep. Um, that had to almost feel fake. I didn't, I had, now I'm like, they hired me to do what? Like I, I it, it's unfathomable to me now to look back at what I was doing. But what happened was I was working high school basketball and football in Minnesota. And this, the stepfather of a high school basketball star in Minnesota is the Timberwolves. Kansas. And he watched me work a game for cable channel, the one that nobody watches for high school basketball. And he came up to me after the game and said, you just interviewed my stepson. And here's my card with my boss's name on the back. You should contact him and see what you could do for Fox Sports North at the time, which now is Valley Sports, you know, whatever. Sure. So I did that. I followed up with a guy a bunch and he finally listened to me and let me do Lynx games, the sideline for the WBA. And then this guy leaves, goes to a place that I never heard of, New England Sports Network. And in my mind, I'm like, shoot, I just lost my in at Valley Sports North. If I Sports North, dang it. Like, I'm not going to, I lost my footing. I, I felt like I was so young to even be doing what I was doing for the WNBA. So he leaves. Uh, I start my high school football season. The team goes 0 and 12. And this guy, I get a phone call from a Boston number from this guy, Joseph Marr. And he says, we're hiring. I'm hiring at Nesson and I want to fly you out for this audition. So I go and it was like a Hunger Games. Many of us to this day called it the Hunger Games of auditions. Amanda Balionis, L. Duncan, Jamison Coyle, Leah Hextall, myself, um, were all in this room. And only three of us, Adam Peller and Leah Hextall and I got the job. Which is ironic because now Amanda Balionis is covering the bleep and master, crying out loud. And we were all in this room. And um, that was, and I had no concept. I went from 0-12 high school football to sitting down with Doc Rivers. And I just was like, cool, great, let's do it. I, I, what? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's almost in a way, it's better that you don't realize how nuts oh, yeah. it is, you know, because you're just like, all right. And in, uh, in later in life, like coming to this job, so many ESPN executives now say like, oh, I used to watch you on Nesson. I had no idea that was going to Bristol. If I knew, I, I, I would have been shaking in my cowboy boots, I, you know. All right. So. First of all, we have to get an NBA or feel free WNBA comp. I don't know uh, of your game when you played in college. Give us a comp. Well, I always really loved John Stockton. Really loved Stockton. Um, but when I was intern at a local station in Minnesota, they would call me Hardaway, Penny Hardaway. Whoa. So I'll go there. I was always pass first ever. I always, my dad taught me to play and. Um, he just was not almost to like a detriment. I played on a high school team that the four girls, one class ahead of me went on to play division one basketball. My sole job was to get them the ball. I, I, I didn't know how to score to save like myself to save my life, but like I can pass. I'm a good passer. I'll say. I don't know that we've ever had a Stockton Hardaway mashup comp before. So that's a first for any player and may go in the title of this podcast. So, Here we go. um, all right, so now we take it to Good Morning Football because, you know, I run into you all the time, the SEC stuff, which I do want to ask about at some point. But, you know, the job can be weird. You know, a lot of times I've heard people, you know, there's there's a million things we can talk about here as far as like, oh, this is the right time. And all the times where I thought I wanted something so bad and that I didn't get it and it ended up being the best thing ever that I didn't get the five things that I wanted before because then they would have gotten in the way of this unbelievable opportunity. But, you know, you're part of the SEC coverage. It's a big moment. It's a big game. You know, I love that game. 
I would see all the time the sideline and it's almost like covering a team, even though you're covering this conference, there's an attachment that's a little bit different, but now you're, you're working for the NFL. You're doing the entire league. You're doing it every single day. Like how different, not that it's more challenging, less challenging, but how different is it from like a content standpoint of like, okay, this is my home every single morning. So, um, I felt like for the first time in a long time, I had to open open the jar back up of like of my opinions because you know i guess i always thought working for nfl or nfl network that you were you were much more tamped down i guess like that you were informed like this is how we say things or whatever and that i always thought that would be frustrating i have been pleasantly surprised by the freedom that we are given to in which we are allowed to speak about topics on good morning football um good and bad so coming from game coverage for the SEC on CBS and even the NFL before that, um, you just get in the cadence when you're a sideline reporter of just like, yeah, that might be interesting or that might be a cool story, but like it's not making it in when it's third and two and the clock is running down and your producer is just like, absolutely not. I'm not telling the story about X, Y, or Z. There's not enough time. Like, you know, we got to focus on the game. You, you are married to the game from a production standpoint. You know, I would have stories that would lay on the cutting room floor week in and week out. And sometimes so frustratingly, they would only be pertinent to that matchup for some reason or another. And then all of a sudden we're going into overtime and there's no shot in hell that any of those stories were going to make it on the air. And that gets old. You know, that gets frustrating um, that you do all this work leading up to the game. And it's not like I'm Gary Danielson where I just have the headset. You're just on and you can weave stuff in. You know, it's not that like someone has to choose to put the sideline reporter on. You have to sell your stuff to get you have to earn your way on the air. And you want the game to be fabulous because then more eyeballs are watching it. But oftentimes that cuts the knees out of the reporter because like your really good stuff that you need time to tell that story gets that's the first thing to get chopped. So you go to Good Morning Football and I'm listening to Peter Schrager and I swear the first three weeks of the show. Schrager would start doing something. He would start to tell a story. And I like would start to be like, you're, you're taking a long time. Like you're, you know, it was, it was ingrained in my head. Like, why, why are you talking so much? This is, this is taking so much time. And then I never said it out loud, but like, it, I just, and then all of a sudden I realized we'd go to a break and we would all get to talk that much. And I would be like, no one's mad that we just talked for like 11 minutes. That's incredible. And, it essentially took me like three or four weeks to break that habit of just like, wow, we really just get, we just get to say what we want for as long as we want to say it. No one is in your ear saying, crap, crap, move on. <laughs> and it's just, it, that has been like the most pleasant surprise to just like the, the different and the difference in the content. Game reporters are incredible. There's a time and a place and it's an important job. And I think you can get really cool stuff, but then this is really cool too. Okay, I want to go back to that, but I, I got to go back to the sideline thing because, you know, I have a million friends that have done the sideline gig. It is, it depends on kind of what you want in life, right? Because some people will be like, what are you talking about? Like, kick off. Hey, how's it going? Halftime. This is what's up. This dude was hurt. Out of here. See you guys next week. <laughs> but then at the same time, I feel like anyone that I've been friends with that's done sideline is like, I can't wait to not do sideline anymore. It never feels like anybody, like unless you're doing maybe the most marquee matchup the whole time and it's a really good living and it's fun. But I feel like I've never met 
a sideline reporter that's like, no, I'm good. Like, this is what I want to do for 20 years. It just doesn't seem to be that way. You know, I, I think it's a double-edged sword of a job because you can be Aaron Andrews, Tracy Wolfson, Lisa Salters. You can be at the top of the top. But I feel like the weight that comes with that of, you know, try to get your try to get your best stuff on the air in the NFC Championship in the fourth quarter. That's hard. It's hard to do. You know, the SEC, it almost felt like we had a little bit more wiggle room just because it was it was our one gate that day, you know, and we could kind of like go to break. You go a little bit long or you want to buy some seconds back to tell a story on the back end. If you weren't married to like the you know, one o'clock kickoffs and 430 kickoffs and your interview is going to get cut, whatever. Like that was the show on Saturday afternoons. So I think you're right, though. I think because people get mad, like just to jump in, the, not to tell you to rap, no, but but. You know, I know as just a consumer, like when I'm just at home watching a game and I think I can tell you, like I give you a scouting report, like every single sideline reporter, because I'll be like, all right, this one goes too long. <laughs> this one, this one knows exactly when to like time it perfectly. Yeah. But I'll, I'll like the whole length thing and be like, hey, we've just had three up and down possessions in this NBA game. Time to wrap, you know, time. Yep. To, and it's totally. and it's really hard because you've worked all Maybe, you know, for a football game, it's all week. The production meetings that you're in that I've sat in and you're like, we're not going to use 99% of this kind of stuff. And for you on the TV side, it's far more important than some of the radio stuff we would do on production for like game day. But it can be a really thankless part of it. And, you know, if you're driven, you're you're like, all right, am I making the most? Like if I, is this the most efficient use of my time to build my career? Two things here's the problem with that stance. Like you very well could say like, Hey, I'm great on the air, but like, you're right. I can do my open hit. I can cover some injuries. I can do my interviews and be gone. That's sure. That can be a stance that you could take. The problem is that if you don't have stuff ready to go in your suitcase of stories, that when it is 42, nothing at halftime at Alabama, Tennessee, and the producer is coming to you in the early, the third quarter, say, what else? You got something you want to get on the air? Then you're kicking yourself because they're asking you to get on the air and you have nothing because you haven't done the work earlier. So it's like, if you want to get put on the air when it's in the end of the game at Texas A&M, Alabama, you got to have stuff early in the third quarter of a blowout against that, like for Alabama. And it works both ways. And again, I, I'm glad I never, you know, sure, maybe some weeks I was like, well, this is rough. Or I would go into games and be like, man, I got nothing like for X, Y, or Z. You kind of start, you know, I think a good soccer reporter can say a lot with nothing. Um, but I don't think any of that stuff would have helped me if I had kind of been lit, lackadaisical about it. It wouldn't have gotten me this good morning football job, you know. What yeah. uh, wh What was your favorite SEC campus? Campus? Like, well, you know, game day experience. The, well, the that's a different question. All right. Well, um, give us the answers to both. Okay. So, can't like whole weekend experience, probably Athens. Um, game day, it's really hard because on game day, you, we get escorted in and escorted out. And it's like all I really saw was like flying by. People. In the stadium, then. In the stadium. Like, oh, um, that was. I wasn't, people are going to think I wanted that answer that I was, I was going that we did not talk about this ahead of time. Yeah. They just, I think LSU has been, you know, they've been through their ups and downs. And so when they are, when they were good, like in 2019, like the, the people that were there were so appreciative of like just electric football, you know, it's not like Alabama. We're just like, yeah, this is what we expect. 
or like Alabama, what was it last year or two years ago when they were getting mad at students for leaving in the fourth quarter and they were like getting like a- attendance points for staying the entire time. It's like, that's how you're taking this grade of football for granted. Like you're leaving because they, you know, you saw what you wanted to see, you know, that's just, that's when you have good football, you're in and you're out. I guess that's what happens. <laughs> Look, when Bama has somebody big in there, it's, it's up there. Um, but that's the right answer. And it's, it's not really even a knock on Bama. It's just that you're on a decade long run of entitlement, uh, deserved entitlement yeah. where I remember in some of the game day stops, like game day and the TV thing. Cause you know, for radio, we would be in on like, Hey, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. So we'd be waiting. And then sometimes it'd almost be like, do we want to go to Bama again next week? Because they didn't even care. <laughs> I, I knocked Bama. I knocked Tuscaloosa just for how hard it is to get there. I just can't get on board. Texas A&M and Alabama, it was hard to go there a lot, as much as we did. Yeah, the Birmingham to, to Alabama thing, but you know, the escort thing sort of happened. I've gotten stuck on that left lane entry way to the highway, leaving <laughs> leaving campus. That's that's a nightmare. All right, is there, what's your favorite, I should have teed you up on this a little bit more, but do you have a favorite SEC-like story, whether it's a coach, mm-hmm. whether it's chasing down some kind of story, like something that you tell your friends about mm-hmm covering that league and and working with those guys um you know it's i think now especially after six weeks of good morning football it's hard to i feel like i'm blurred again by the guys who are like stars in the nfl it's like i'm almost having this like really lovely like memory relapse of like the guys that i had over the last four years that were in the sec so I may be forgetting a story because that guy isn't playing in the league now, but I'm just so, these guys are so fresh in my mind. So the two, that, just the, generally the two that come to mind are with well, the SEC championship when Tua had taken over for Jalen. They go through the whole season. Tua had come in in the second half of the national championship and it's Tua, 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 Tua. Jalen just had to sit there and take it. And then Tua gets hurt. And then Jalen has to come in in the SEC championship and just, and they were down and they, I mean, my, just, I, I, I commend Jalen Hurts so much for behaving the way he did all season long, being like the quintessential backup for always being prepared. But like it came to play in that moment on the biggest stage in the SEC championship. And he just came in and they won and Saban was teary eyed after the game. And they just were hugging and we were, and I was standing there and I just, I was just shocked. I was just like, this, this is, that was my first season on the, on the SEC. So I didn't even have a great understanding of, of what that meant historically for Jalen to have been benched, sit, and then come and win it for them. And then to just sit again for the next title game and then go on to Oklahoma. It just, what he has been through to turn into the NFL quarterback that he has turned into, I think, is a tremendous story. Secondly, just the rise of Joe Burrow. Watching, because remember, he was at LSU. It was his second season that he was there, and that was when he became a star. That was when he became the Heisman guy. But like the year before, I talked to him every week on our, like we had those games, and he was so, he's the same. And I really appreciate that about just stories and God is when they say the same and just watching him become Joe Burrow has been really cool because I know it's not like the humble beginnings of Baton Rouge but like a little bit the stardom that he has become it does feel like that now 
that yeah, he, I mean, because it's easy to forget the first year that he was there. It was like, hey, you know, this guy looks all right. You know, they finally have somebody at the position that they can count on. And then he turns well, into the so number many, one pick. Though. There's so many. I mean, even um, Brian Robinson, who, like, man, I wish back to health faster than anybody. Everything that he just, you know, he got shot last week in Washington. I mean, he waited five years to be the running back at Alabama. He's from Tuscaloosa. His home was hit by the tornadoes that went through Tuscaloosa. He's one. He's got four sisters. He won. I mean, the his story. His story is just tremendous. And now this to be added to it is just, yeah, it's cool. But it's also that, hard to watch when things don't go well. That's a good transition, though, into kind of like how that impacts now that you're back on the opinion side, because that's what's great about Good Morning Football is that everybody kind of you know you're the main anchor, but there's a little like anchoring handoffs at time, but it's like mm-hmm. make make sure everybody gets involved which I think is great. And when a show can work that way, that's why I always thought like the Fowler game day, like Fowler could have hung with anyone on any single college football topic. And by the way, Reese can as well. Yeah. Um, and knowing when is the host to be like, let me play traffic cop here, but let me also say, hey, this is where I disagree with you. How much do you like look at somebody who you know to a story as well as anyone sitting at the desk because of the background of the SEC? How much does that impact like your opinion on like what you expect from Tua this year? I have to... You know, once a week, I would say in the first six weeks, I've had a moment that I will turn to Peter or Kyle and just say, like, am I doing too much with the SEC or am I, you know, it's just, they're just everywhere. The stars are everywhere. And so it's hard for me when we, when we have a segment that's like, you know, who's your, who's your best second year tight end? Like one of the guys is going to be an SEC guy. And then that's just who I know. And so that's where my brain goes. And, and they will always have my back. They're just like, no, that's, that's your reference point. We appreciate your angle on it and what you bring to the table. I also really enjoy listening to their takes on these guys that, you know, they just every, I think what I like about the table is that everybody watches it through such different lens. They're, you know, the way Kyle sees stuff is so different than like Peter kind of like as insider ways and Jason being a former player. And then me with my background and it's just, I really enjoy listening to them and their angles because it helps me shape my thoughts about it. Um, but also it just, I've just always appreciated listening to people. You know, I don't, I don't really love, I don't like vehemently disagree with a lot of people. I just genuinely, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Do you think you'll get there? Do you think you'll be like, you know what, guys, I'm just out on this Tua thing. I don't know what you guys see. Sometimes you just also want to do things that's like good for TV. So like if we're going, if I can see the guys are going like three, like today on the show, we had a question is is Tom Brady the most fascinating player in the NFL? And they all said, like, pretty much, yeah. And I was like, no, it has to be Kyler. As I was kind of working through it, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I believe this, but, like, I just had to, I had to pick somebody to go in opposite direction. Like, it's not fun if you have, like, the same. So, uh, some, I'm, I'm sure if I really wanted to stamp my feet about something, I could find a topic. But also, you want to make a TV and just kind of be like, let me spin it a different way. But the Kyler one, uh, you know, not to back you up here because you're on the podcast. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad answer because like, and that was my take, which was like, yeah. Tom Brady isn't that fascinating. You know what you're going to get from him, which is nothing. I mean, he is behind a veil. Kyler, like he has a he has an opportunity here to essentially prove all of these naysayers wrong about his independent study clause situation to represent an entire generation of young players who may say like, yeah, I like the game. Yeah, I like to whatever and like but I can still go out and be the face of the franchise and get paid. Because he just got absolutely crapped on also. 
except for the contract, which paid him the second most guaranteed money ever. So like, I felt like, okay, as mad as you can be about this, I, I think that part is more important than, hey, does this guy study enough? You didn't even have the money. I know. That's where I was like, wait, social media feels bad for him because this stupid clause, like the contract. And I would say with Kyler, even though I really like him when he's good, uh, which may sound obvious, to me, that contract is like, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that another quarterback where it still feels like, is there a slight question mark about Kyler moving forward, you know, to, in comparison to the other guys that have gotten the guaranteed money, whether it's Mahomes. Um, maybe Allen was a little bit of that, not so much the case anymore. Right. Certainly not Russell Wilson, certainly not uh, Aaron Rodgers. The other guys that have made that top money in the past, although Goff, I would disagree with. Um, Kyler, who I, I'm rooting for, I think can be terrific. Uh, the high leverage moments are great. When he doesn't have Hopkins there, the numbers bear out that he's not the same guy. But to me, that contract was a massive, massive commitment to somebody that maybe isn't as a certain as a quarterback as some of those other guys that have made that kind of money. Now he surpassed them. So I felt like, hey, that's the most important part, but that's not how it plays out. Which is why it's so fascinating. First there you go. Point, not the most fascinating guy. Tom Brady is. Did you do your Super Bowl picks? Or are you saving those? For the- um, I have done them. They are okay. being disclosed on Thursday, I think. Or Friday. Thursday. 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 Prediction right. week. I've never had to, and frankly, I don't think as technically as like a member of like the seat as a reporter, like I was supposed to ever put that out there. So like this has been drummed up. Like Kyle Brandt is making me feel like this is going to be like the third child that I give birth to. Like this is, it's intense and you want to have it right. You've got to overthink and think about it, think about it some more. And so tomorrow we're doing our divisional winners. And then as the week goes on, but like it's, I have like a poster board happening. Like it's, I'm, it feels intense. Okay, final thought then, because now you can't share. This is a big reveal on Good Morning Football, so we don't want to get in the way. Yep. Um, my scouting reports say that Kyle's kind of like the rock and roll hot boy, but that long term Schrager feels like more steady husband material. Mm. I know it's. I know you're married, so it's not relevant to you. But just mm-hmm. if your friends were to ask about them personality wise, do you think that that's a fair assessment based on my intel? I think. Kyle is more of a steady Eddie than he likes to portray. Oh, wow. I think, I think you're spot on with Peter. Peter is like tremendously deep and thoughtful and, um, so Kyle's vapid and empty. No. Oh, Kyle. I just, Kyle has those things too. He just does it. He's not as upfront about them. Okay. I think Kyle likes to show you like the flashy and the fast talking and the ideas, the creative, but he has that side. Does that make sense? It does. I'm just messing with both guys here on the way out as, as you could. I had to really think about that. And Jason. Yeah. McCordy part of the team. Nothing wrong with Jason McCordy. And I mean, the man did a show. (laughs) That's quite a compliment. Yeah. First thing. He did the appendix on TV. I've seen that happen to another anchor. He's like, man, I had some bad fish or something. It's like, no, your appendix first. No, yeah, he did the show Tuesday. He texted us hour before the show. I don't feel great. He looked look good all the whole show. He did the show Tuesday and then Tuesday night, appendix out. And he came back Monday. He's <laughs> coming back today. No days off. That's the Patriot way. Um, Jamie, you're terrific. I'm a huge fan. You know that. Good luck with this. Congratulations on a new platform. Good morning, football. Every morning, 7 a.m. Eastern. You're going to crush. Can't wait. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. 
You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? (laughs) I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore, yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out and out. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice is rr at gmail.com. There you go. Life advice rr at gmail.com. Don't love the way that I did that. Shout out to Kyle. Happy Labor Day. But putting in that labor on a Monday. Shout out to <laughs> anyone giving birth today as well. What's up, Saruti? Giving birth on Labor Day. That sounds uh, pretty appropriate. Kyle got a day off yesterday, though. So hopefully he's uh, he had a nice day. How was your Sunday? You get after it? It was great. I found out that the um, LA Times went to Frolic Room asking about our, our friend, the Super Bowl heist guy. He's now missed his court date. Everything's back up in flames. We're all like the guys on the run. So um, yeah, it was a, a good catch up media day with uh, with the boys down at the Frolic Room. I know. I was just reading, uh, I'm reading Pioneers by McCullough right now. And there was this guy, Playfair, who was over in France selling. French people on the the Eden known as the Ohio Valley. Oh, nice. And yeah, he was basically like bountiful. You know, it doesn't, he's like, it doesn't even get that cold. So people started <laughs> buying up all these shares and plots of land. And then they got on these boats that were apparently chartered by this company, uh, which is not the part of the original group that left Boston, but there was this like off-brand version of it and this guy went with another partner and they like okayed it so they had all they took like the original paperwork and then like drew in pictures of like a ton of animals and rainbows and shit and so all these french people's just buying them up even kids uh buying up plots of land or whatever 600 people they land in virginia and they're like yeah we don't have your we don't have your property <laughs> like what are you talking about you have a plot of land like who'd you, who'd you give your money to and they're like this guy playfair and that guy disappeared so a little history lesson for you there before mm. we uh, 
before we start changing lives. Kyle wants to go quicker today, and he's right, because today's podcast is long. So let's just do one thing here that I thought was important, because normally we dismiss these all the time. Uh, 42, 511, 200, bench 285, squat 350-ish, who cares? Everyone does, bro. <laughs> just listened, enjoyed your most recent podcast, and noticed both Steve and Ryan used the term over your skis. I've also heard Colin Cowherd using it recently in the same context as an ex-ski racer from 5 to 25 years old, including a few years on the World Cup, and coach of the women's Olympics team for five years and currently a business partner with some guys who, earn, who own, uh, like, do we give him the shout out? Sure. I think he wants it. Uh, that own International Ski Academy, shout out to ISAR okay. or ISRA, not to be confused. Sorry. <laughs> I believe the way the term is being used is incorrect in regard to being out of control or over your head. As an athlete or coach, you want to be out over your skis. It means you're in the correct position to be strong and push against the forces. Literally, the most used term while coaching a skier is some version of move forward, get forward, stay connected while driving forward, all in attempts to get over your skis. Anyway, I thought I'd throw in my two cents. Well-intentioned listener. I will tell you, 99.9% of the time I get emails like this, I read it and go, fuck off. And then we don't read them on the air. I think this guy's right. Because we use it as above the rim, out kicking your coverage, something that is like, hey, I am this. But in this case, I've heard it so much that I just started using it. We've applied it to some version of like dating somebody that's more attractive than you are. You know, usually it's attraction. Nobody's like, hey, she's not that great looking, but she's so cool and down to earth. He's way above the rim. Nobody does it that way. Um, I guess the out over your skis is always used a little bit as a negative observation of something when this guy's telling us from the ski world that I don't understand as much. I think he might be right here. That's why I read it. I thought it was important for everybody. <laughs> I mean, is that it? Is that I, it? Would okay. I would assume that, you know, yeah, you're supposed to be slightly ahead of your skis in a good stance. I would assume that this means that you're further than further ahead than you should be. That's the whole point of this. Like you're doing something wrong. But yeah, but he's, I think we as non-skiers look at ski jumping being like, oh, that guy was way out in front of his skis. And now when I think about when I watch it, like you want to be out over your skis. Or is somebody, it, uh, is we going to have it, a ski jumper email us this week saying, actually, that's what I'm afraid of now. No, I know. But in his defense, it actually, it actually pr is pretty hard to get too far ahead of your skis though, right? Because if you bend over, like it's not like you could just fall flat on your face on your skis. Like, you know, like, <laughs> that's what that, they're long. So yeah, you know, he might be right. This is getting real money. And you can't even try to say it the right way because then people can be like, what are you talking about? Because you then you got to be like, no, actually, you have to do, keep this guy's spiel in your back pocket and explain it because you can't even try to use it the correct way that this guy's telling us without confusing everyone. So it either has to be like a dead phrase or or we're just going to keep on doing it how we've been doing it, I think. I guess the other part of this could be he's looking at it from such a technical standpoint that maybe the community at large uses the reference doesn't want doesn't care about that and they're just saying hey think of it this way you're out you're skiing you're taking a lesson you're out over your skis you fall forward so that's where it became negative i don't know just think it out loud feel like we've yeah. already covered enough of this so let's Fair. just keep it moving okay <laughs> uh asshole sauna guy that's that sounds like a craigslist thing all right we'll keep it we'll keep trying <laughs> here six one two ten lost 20 pounds i started going to the gym and eating right three months ago congrats man backstory i listen to a lot of stuff on sauna in the sauna, 
I think he means in the sauna. Backstory, I've listened to a lot of stuff in the sauna. I've been doing that semi-regularly now for almost a year, four to seven times a week for 20, 25 minutes. This guy's getting the sauna 20, 25 minutes, sometimes seven days a week, Kyle. Wow, that's a lot. All right. I'm following the same email train of thought as the gym guy from a few weeks ago that was pissed uh, at the guy for asking him to come get him when he was done with the squat rack. And I'm writing this email 10 minutes after the fact while I'm still pissed. I'm 15 minutes into the sauna. It's starting to get tough like it always does. Accelerated heart rate, breathing. My gym sauna goes to 200 degrees, so it's always hard toward the end. I don't do a lot of sauna. And when I do it, I'm like, hey, do I not do this enough or do I do it zero times and that's the right number if it makes you feel better you know it's not heroin i say go up go for it right yeah all right so uh he said a dude walks in with his phone and starts watching tiktok with the volume up ah. this seems like a huge asshole move particularly following the Rosillo school of thought quote if everyone did it it wouldn't work it's a great theory this dude oozes quote just gonna be in here oh wait he says just going to be here five uh, in here for five minutes to get a sweat out, which anyone with a fucking brain knows doesn't work. Uh Oh, but that's why he's OK having his phone in the sauna. Anyway, I was so pissed. I almost said something to him. I even thought about turning on my music just to prove a point, but decided if the dude was the wrong sort, I didn't want to end up coming to blows in a sauna after already doing it for 20 minutes. So that's a good point. I don't think I'd want to fight after being in a sauna for 20 minutes. If it happens again, though, am I justified for going decibel for decibel with him on my phone as well, just to prove a point? Or should I just let it go and let him continue to watch other assholes on TikTok humble brag about how they're giving away their designer clothes to the less fortunate? Oh, <laughs> I'm not. Is that happen on TikTok a lot? I don't know. I'm not on there, but I, I imagine he was uh, he had overheard that probably in his in his sauna. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like good. Content. It sounds oddly uh, specific. The reason we read this one, Kyle. I love this move. Uh, first of all, I don't know why you'd want your phone in the sauna for like 20 to 30 minutes, but maybe there's something there that I don't understand, so we'll just keep it moving here. I think you're totally right. I love this, and I think people should listen to this and be encouraged to do that because it's perfect. You know, like we say, uh, the Rosillo theory of many, like if everybody brought their JBL speaker to the gym to listen to out loud music, the gym would suck. So like the one guy that does it, he's over in his corner kind of thinking like, hey, they make these things called earbuds. You see them everywhere. There's tons of options. You could do that. And then he's thinking like, no, you've decided that you're better than the rest of us so that you're going to go ahead and do outside speaker guy while you're inside at the gym. So I love this move. I think you probably should have done it then unless it sounds like you think he was a little bit bigger than you and you've been trimming down. Maybe you're faster now. Who knows? I don't think this is wrong versus wrong. I don't think, I think this is just you deciding, hey, all right, cool. You're going to play videos on your phone the whole time. I'm going to, I'm going to throw in some Almond Brothers while we sweat it out together. And now we're both going to not enjoy the time. <laughs> I, think, I like it. I think that's great. Or you could just make some like uh, annoying small talk was the other thing. If you didn't have your phone in there, you just be like, oh, man, it's getting real hot out. It just you could just you know you could just make it so he's. You could do talk. better than that. I know. I well, I'm not very good at small talk. So. Like your taint ever itch, and then like <laughs> stick your hand into your towel and just stare at him. Just look right at him. Like do you do you ever do you deal with that man? Mine's hot or cold. All, like you know, I don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not contagious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there earlier. I was getting too hot. I had to move over to this side. Might just be that spot, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. You start reading the paper. You're like, what, what business are you in? 
<laughs> that's a little less aggressive you, maybe you should be that annoying neighbor guy from the you know from the couple yeah. emails ago where he's just telling you like how to do shit at his house be like hey you ever try to fix your you know your carbonator or like you know you, what, what do you know about siding Te- teach him a, a breathing <laughs> exercise for the sauna be like yeah, you gotta you go real sp- fast when you're breathing there <laughs> <laughs> you in the uh you in the vinyl game <laughs> yeah, yeah what no oh, uh no. that is funny though because um i'm typically so anti guy as most people should be playing your music or whatever out loud to everybody else like whether it's like a car in a neighborhood and this guy's blast music or quick story like maddie and i were at a beach a couple like you know, a couple weeks ago or so and this couple is they had they brought their speaker and they're just like blaring their speaker we both looked at each other and be like this asshole like this sucks but after like 10 15 minutes we both kind of looked at each other and like actually he's playing some good music so i don't kind of hate it it was like a decent vibe so like usually I am very anti, but it was like in that situation where I was like, oh, actually, no, this guy's like, you have to, you have to do something that is good for the community. And you watching tick, my point is you watching TikTok videos by yourself is not good for the community. So you cannot do that. Yeah. The TikTok anywhere is, is weird. We were at a, th- a, a campfire, beautiful campfire that we made. There was like, I don't know, 15, 20 people. And there's this like old guy watching videos, just laughing to himself out loud. We're like, we're like out in nature. The stars are out. We're like, we're not even playing music or anything. I don't think. And he's just he's just like scrolling through. I think it was TikTok. And it's just you, the, the annoying, you know, jump into some sort of music thing and then go into some sort of whatever. It's like people. It's just like, what? We're all here. We're just looking at him. We're like, what are you doing, man? So, I mean, that guy got called out. But um, yeah, I think Good. it's totally it's totally you're you're not weird for thinking that's like one of the worst things you could do socially. I think it's I think it's uh, a tough sell. The, the other day, like, I'm, you know, again, another reason being single is anytime you need breakfast at a pack breakfast spot you could just sit at the counter it's an unbelievable love sitting at the counter there's, there's mm-hmm. always one spot open it's great so i go to a regular spot sit at the counter and the woman next to me is playing youtube videos <laughs> while she's eating the phone is down to her left she's eating no headphones. and i'm like and i'm reading you know whatever that day and i'm thinking to myself you gotta be fucking kidding me like how long is this gonna go on and uh what was she watching you make it out like prayer stuff. Ooh. Oh, all right, yeah. It was awful. Wow. And it wasn't yeah. Sunday. Musical prayer stuff or or just uh It's brutal. Like and then when the next one closed out, I was like, Oh, we're done. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> this is a playlist. <laughs> so then I was like, Am I gonna say something? I was like, She's old. Were other people like, looking at like is the bartender kind of looking at you? Like what's going nah, on? No, she was with somebody that was with her who thought it was cool too. And then I was like off to the side. So then there was nothing off to the left of the side. And the people serving were just in and out. So they weren't really picking up on it. And it was brutal. It was brutal. But she was old. And uh I got my food and then she turned to me. She was like, Boy, that looks good. She's like, I hope you're having a great day. And I was like, Fuck. Oh, like, damn it. You're nice too. Yeah, Come yeah. on. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Like, and, and you're nice. nice. I was like, I was until your shit content started filtering <laughs> into my zone. <laughs> uh, you're right, man. Do something about this. You can't let him get away with this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, not afraid of confrontation with that one age, female part of it. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm not. I'm not slide. And the thing is, after a while, it's kind of, you know, it's like I don't get mad about like, when, when there's a baby crying on a plane and you see the guy be like, oh. Like that's yeah. not going to make it better, man. Yeah, yeah. You know who it's feels like, worse than you do? The parents whose baby yeah. is screaming, and they know that they're inconveniencing everybody else. I, I, that actually, I would die on that hill. It's, it's way worse for the parents than it is for anybody else on the plane. Yeah, right, right. And usually, I've also noticed this a little bit more on, 
it usually does stop because the kid just exhausts himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You don't need to send us an email about the time it happened for five straight hours. I'm aware there are exceptions. Okay, last one. This one, so controversial. I, Kyle was like, do we even read this one? I don't even know if this is a life advice, but it's bad. It says punchable face is the headline. Guy checking in six foot 145, scrawny climber kid working on my squats and cultivating mass. Sounds like you're working a little bit harder. Uh, yesterday, I made the mistake of watching Life Advice on the YouTube channel. Oh. We do have a YouTube channel. And now I can't get over the fact that Sir Rudy, Sir Rudy, <sighs> Sir Rudy looks like a douche. What? Yeah. yeah. I expected well, him to be someone who looks approachable and friendly. From the way he speaks, I always assumed he had glasses or at the very least a less defined jawline. What I saw yesterday shattered that image. Between the backwards cap and the horizontal striped <laughs> tee, never a good call. He looks like a guy who can't believe everybody in America didn't grow up playing lacrosse. Well, I actually hate lacrosse, too. So I know. <laughs> I now okay. see him as the same light as a Sigep pledge at his first sorority mixer. Well, it oh. depends on which house, which Sig, which, which Sigep. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not every fraternity could be the same in name. Not the same vibe necessarily campus to campus. What sucks is that the guy gives great advice. With the exception of a few instances, I think his takes dive to the heart of the issue. Going forward, I want to keep listening, but I don't know how I can take his words seriously anymore. How should someone react when the person they see or meet for the first time doesn't match their expectations? So you look like a douche with a punchable face that loves laughs and went to SIGET or part of SIGET. Well, here's the thing. I got, whenever those videos come out, and I don't know if I just com- look completely different than what my voice sounds, or maybe it's the Saruti thing and people, cause people love to throw that around as well. But I do get a lot of like, holy shit, that's what Saruti looks like. And like, I'm not, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you, Kyle, but I don't think it happens as much. Like, do I look weirdly different than what I sound like? I don't think, I mean, the backwards hat thing, I wear a backwards hat because I got long hair now. I'm going to, I'm going to actually cut it shortly because I'm don't. just kind of tired of it. I wouldn't. Um, I think it's great. And I, and I yeah, wear the hat. Longer. I wear the hat because I just kind of don't want to do my hair when we do the pod. And so I just throw a hat on. I'm not usually a backwards hat guy. It just kind of is a phase and it will be ending shortly. Um, I understand why the lacrosse aesthetic, like I'm looking at myself right now on the zoom and I'm like, yeah, I get, I get that. Even though I actually really don't like lacrosse at all. And I did not grow up in like the country club five douchebag kind of thing. Uh, but dad was an know. HVAC. I know. I know. Yeah. My, I mean, yeah. yeah, my dad is, you know, I, I feel like I'm somewhat of a salt Student loans. guy. Like I, I had a pretty good upbringing, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, I was, there was no like silver spoon here. So I don't. Pell Grants, don't know, a couple Pell Grants in there. No, maybe a couple Scollies, you know, no, not a big deal. Uh, no, no Pell Grants though. But I will say, do I look that different than what my voice sounds like? Multiple people have said this and comment on my appearance every time a video goes up on YouTube or, or on Twitter. How are you supposed to know that? It's like, I, I can't say that because I know what you look like. I don't think I really knew what you sounded like before I knew what you look like. So that's hard. I think it's just, so what? The, he's You got a handsome face and you got a lot of hats. It's, I mean, it seems like a lazy comparison for this guy to be like, lax, bro. What? Because you because you have a little bit of hang time and your hat is backwards instead of forwards? Yeah. Come on. I think that's a lazy I did have comparison. a guy. I did have a guy compliment. He said I had great eyelashes on one of the videos. So thanks to that guy. I don't know your handle, but appreciate that. So there are some compliments thrown in there too, but there are a lot of like, that's holy shit. That's what Saruti looks like. And I've just never understood what, what I'm supposed to look like. All right. Well, first of all, this is just what happens. The first time they started simulcasting SVP and Rosillo, where it was just SVP, I went through the exact same thing. I even had people being like, wait, Rosillo's white. <laughs> <laughs> Tate Fraser had that for a while. That was funny. Right. That was 
it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't most of the responses, but there was, it would happen and Van Pelt would just start dying laughing. That went on for months when we first started being on TV. So there was that. And it just was like, oh, I didn't expect you because think of it. It's, it's like reading a book and not knowing the place they're describing. And then every person that reads that book has a different interpretation of what the pages are describing. And then if you were to see the place, if it really exists, then you go look at it. Every person is going to, oh, this is different than what I thought. So it's the exact same thing for anybody that's been talking for a while. Then all of a sudden, you know, years of building up a perception of what that person looks like. There's no way it's going to match anyone. And like no one's ever going to match. It's never going to match. It's not going to match. So you are now with the exposure dealing with people for the first time, really. The sorority sorority thing is still weird to me that this has gone on for yeah. like 10 years that I just don't know that, like, don't you think if we had a guy with a knighthood in his title, we would address that a few more times than zero? <laughs> no, I had a guy recently that was just like, I just thought I missed like an inside joke on a previous episode or something. He's like, I'm a consistent listener. I've been listening since, you know, the ESPN days. And I just thought I missed something. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Why yeah, the fuck are we putting the way. credits in these episodes now? If you're not even going to bother to That's look. That's true too. Nobody Why the fuck us. are we doing yeah. that? <laughs> but Kyle, you get you get a lot of like, I can't believe that's what Kyle looks like. And I'm like, what did you think Kyle looked like? Yeah, like, I, I look at. I don't ahead. know. No, I got nothing to say. I don't know. It is what I've been waking up with this face to all the every day. So I don't know. Sometimes a it's a little days. fuller. Sometimes it's a little slimmer. But yeah, it's about the face. It's the face I got. So I don't know. You look slim today. Yeah. Well, mm. I've been I've been outside a lot. I go real hydrated yesterday. Nice. So I was taking care right. of myself. You know, the only the only <laughs> thing I've ever like made an assumption about Sarudia on was was his voice, not his looks. When he said he used to chirp guys in college, I was like, "You have the voice of a guy who I think chirped guys in college." I did. On your way yeah. out of a bar or a stadium, I could totally see that. But other than yeah, that, I, I don't judge anything about you. I think I've that's admitted the one that. Thing I know, I've, but I could just I've think about. I'm wrong. I could think about yeah. See you later, jackass, or something like that. I could see you on your way out of a building. I don't yeah. know. That's the only thing about you I would ever assume. <laughs> assume. Uh, I got to admit, as you just said, Surudi, and you're my guy, so like, I'll have your back no matter what. You say more shit that would make me want to punch you than any way you ever look. <laughs> like, like what? No, the <laughs> chirp thing. Like knowing oh. that whenever I would think of that, and I'd be like, dude, I would open hand slap you if I were another guy in college. Be like, why am I going to let you chirp me? And. <laughs> Yeah. No offense. I wouldn't actually do it to you now, but I'm just saying, like, for someone to listen to you versus see you, I think you've probably said a few things because you're not afraid that I would think over the course of time of, of talking that there'd be a few more moments where somebody'd be like, oh, whatever. Like, I can't believe you said that, which is just part of the gig. Like, at some point, I'm yeah. going to say stuff that you're just like, oh, I don't, I disagree with that. It's whether or not you're going to just sign off for the rest of it or not, which I always think is a little weird. It's like, I listened to you for 10 years. You're my favorite guy ever. But you said that one thing about the Milwaukee Bucks. Fuck you. And you're like, <laughs> all right, well, that's a pretty tough standard cool. yeah. to follow. I'm just saying, I think there's a tendency when you revisit things. But again, maybe it's the same thing for me is that I think you I think you could potentially be perceived as sounding more punky than looking more punky. That was what I was. That's what I think. That's what I was driving at. Yeah, that's fair. I mean. So basically, we said you're good looking, but you're a shithead. No. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't just—it's okay. You could be jealous. No, but in your conversation with Dilfer, though, and when you said about like a younger dudes, just like they, they, and your your conversation with Bob Ryan, and like how could you not think that this guy sucks or something like that? And Bob's just like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. We'll see. Like I have, I'm, I've kind of made that transition. In life younger me was, I, I had defined takes on literally anything. Like you threw anything at me, and I would have a take on it. Now. 
And that's why I would be a little bit mouthy and like, you know, especially in college, like I'm competitive, I'm a little bit cocky. Now I just don't give a shit about most things. <laughs> so like I've made that transition to like maybe kind of semi old guy uh, and it's awesome. But like, that's probably why I would get myself in trouble because like somebody would do something or like, I remember this time when I went to uh, like a different college and this yes. guy was wearing Ohio State hoodie. Yes. And I, hate it. I hate Ohio State. I still don't like Ohio State to this day, but whatever, it's a here, neither here nor there. And I was like, dude, sick Ohio State, like hoodie loser or something like that. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just like, a, it's just, I mean, in my, in my defense, the guy also sucked, but he had the Ohio State hoodie and that just put it over the top. That shit I would say back in the day, I would never do that now. I feel like I've learned my lesson. Like, but every young, I feel like all, a lot of young guys go through their like cocky mouthy stage and I'm, and I'm, a, I'm better for it. Oh, yeah, I could honestly say, like, it's it's cool if you never go through that stage, but going through that stage and then getting out of it can be just as valuable as never going through it. But I'm just <laughs> all I'm picturing is like Saruti at college, with like a white claw in his hand going, dude, Suey's Canal, not deep enough, not <laughs> yeah. like and just not debating it. And it'd be like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Like, whatever, dude, good luck on Wall Street. China's going to reserve <laughs> currency. Like, yeah, I would argue whatever. like what the best dynasty in the history of civilization is. And like, have a look. I mean, that would I and 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 I would like be pissed off about why someone would disagree with me on that. Dude, Genghis uh, doesn't get enough credit. One guy once Efficiency told me. Efficiency wise, the one I, somebody I think I told the story in the pod. Somebody once told me that he didn't like Brendan Shanahan, and I got like really pissed off about it in college. I'm like, how Whaler great Brendan Shanahan? How dare you disrespect his name and like stuff like that? Now I'm just like, I don't I don't really care. I always tell my wife too. I'm like. It's well, you're married you're about to have a college. kid, so Brendan Shanahan arguments aren't nearly as important. No, but like I always tell her, it's probably it's probably good we didn't meet in college. Not that like, I don't know. I was just, you know, I was a little bit more abrasive. And and now I've, I've, I just don't really give a shit about stuff anymore. So I appreciate that guy saying I, I give out good advice, though. Thank you. Brendan Shanahan. Six years older than me. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, that's life <laughs> advice. Thank you to Saruti. Thanks to Kyle. Uh, long pod today. Uh, what do we have Wednesday? Uh, Kevin Clark. Oh, that's right. Kevin Clark. Tears. We're gonna do some, yeah, we're going to do tears. We'll do a little F1. Man, I would hate to be a Ferrari fan right now. Oh, the worst. Great car stuff. Talk to you Wednesday.